All right, you can take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Thank you, Nathan and Carissa. That was wonderful. I appreciate that. I had to say it. And we're talking about humility today, so I've got to be careful about what I'm saying there. Oh, man. I felt like that whenever we, did, we were doing the live stream and we were playing, and then we play, and it was like, well, okay. The secret with that live stream was, um, is when we shot that, um, my family was not in the house watching me do that. They were gone. <laughs> so Carissa, the kids were sitting in the car, we did the song, and then she went and climbed in the car and drove away so I could preach, and then we went back. And then I was about three-fourths of the way done, and my brain, I forgot if I hit record. And I was like, oh, no. And But I thought, nope, let's just finish this and push through. And I did, and then I walked around the back praying as I go around the back of the camera, and it was recording. And I was like, okay, good. Because that would have been, I would have had to call. I wasn't afraid to preach the sermon again. It was to call Chris and say, well, keep the kids out for another 40 minutes, you know. So they're out riding around. Anyways, they had a good time, though. All right, we're in Proverbs chapter 16. And let's look in verse 16 here. Verse 16. How much better is it, in verse 16 there, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding rather than to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be a humble spirit with the lowly than to, than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent. And the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. But the instruction of fools is folly. I think it's something very interesting there. We're going to see in verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And then we see down in verse 20, it says, he that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning here. Lord, there are places all across the world right now where people are persecuted to do what we are doing right now. And we thank you for the opportunity to do this, that we can, we can meet in freedom here, Lord Father. Even north of the border there in Canada, people are being persecuted. People in our in states here in our own home of America, Lord, places, uh, churches, places of worship are being persecuted. Father, I pray that you'll encourage each and every one of those to keep going, keep fighting the fight. I pray, Lord, that we will not forget those people and that we will take encouragement from that. Help us not to ever take for granted meeting together in your name. We thank you for that. We thank you for our time this morning. I pray for our pastor who's out and about um, with um, uh, at the meeting there down uh, there in Arizona, Lord, that you'll be with them as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, the title of the sermon today is Eat Crow Before You Crash. So have I captivated you, or did I just weird you out? You're like, is that a southern thing? Do they eat crow down there? No, it's not a thing. You don't eat crow. That I know of. They do eat squirrel brains down there. I do know people who eat squirrel brains, but not crow. So eat crow. It's not no superstitions involved here. 
Uh, this isn't, uh, this is a different type of message we're going to do. It's not long. It's, a lot of it's right to the point we're going to be going through. But what we're going to look at is eat the crow before you crash. Now, in 1850, a little backstory here, the Saturday Evening Post published a story about a farmer who owned and operated a boarding house. To cut down on the cost of the food, the farmer served whatever he could rustle up around the farm there, whatever he could plant and grow for cheaply, anything like that. He w- that's what he was going to give to his boarders. After a few days of eating anything that he could find, the boarders began to complain. The farmer didn't know why. He thought his cooking was just fine. It's okay. If you ever meet someone, it, you know, it's their, their um, fruitcake. Well, you haven't tried my fruitcake. No, I just don't like fruitcake. But you don't understand. You haven't tried. No, no, I just don't like fruitcake. That's just how it is. This guy thought that he could cook anything and it would be fine. He didn't understand why they would complain. He thought himself to be a great cook. The food he tasted, it was just fine. In fact, he was so confident in his claim that he, uh, in his uh, 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 um, statement there, he made a very, very bold claim to them. He said, I can eat anything. I can cook anything. However you want, I'll eat it because meat is meat and food's food and it's totally fine. Well, after a long time of discussion, the boarders had an idea and they challenged him to eat boiled crow. Now, crow's bad enough, but boiled crow sounds even worse than that. So he agreed and said, I will do it. And that next evening, they watched the farmer choke down the most disgusting thing he had ever eaten before. And the boarders had a good laugh about that. After the meal, the farmer declared, I ate the crow, but ne'er again. Am I going to do that? He ate it, but that was it. He's not going to do it anymore. Now, that was published in 1850, and that's where we get the term eating crow from. It used to be to eat boiled crow, but then it was dropped down to eating crow. And eating crow, basically, we all know, means to admit uh, admit a humiliating error that was made or concede a humiliating defeat. Crow is a very unappetizing food. And if you read Leviticus, you'll find those type of birds are not to be eaten at all. Some of us have eaten crow on more than one instant. Uh, some of us have realized it's not an uh, acquired taste. You still eat it every time, and it's still nasty. You know, you just keep going. It's, it's the same old, same old. Oftentimes, you have to eat crow because we have no other choice when you think about it. You caught red-handed. You painted yourself into a corner. You've made a big mistake. Now you've got to pick up the fork and eat, and you've, you've got to acknowledge the mistake that you've made. And obviously, today, we're not going to look at the, all the mistakes that we've made because... That would take a very, very, very long time. Now, what leads to these humiliating moments? You think about that, and that is so oftentimes it's pride. And that's something we're going to look at quickly here, and then we're going to branch over to something else this morning. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 29. We don't have the time to cover the magnitude of the subject of pride. There's just no way. That's an entire series right there. Pride is such... Uh, um, a devastator. It just um, destroys lives. We see something over, we read about it over and over again here in the scriptures. From the beginning of time to the fathers of the Hebrew nation, to the judges amongst God's people, to the great kings of Judah, to the wicked kings of Israel, to the fateful accounts of the prophets, we see the original sin, which is the pride of man. It's the original sin. It's the original sin for a reason, okay? I deserve this. So the first thing we see, we're going to establish a couple of things this morning quickly 
about pride. The first thing that we see here in Proverbs chapter 29, and let's look in verse 23. Proverbs 29, verse 23, is that pride is a derailer. Now, I've got three points here, and they all begin with a D. Isn't that cool? So then you can write them all in D. So the first thing we see here is that pride is a derailer. I think that's a word. I'm not sure if it is, but it sounded really good, and it went with this, so I want to use that. All right, so it's a derailer. Now, in 29, verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 23 of Proverbs, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the spirit, uh, the humble in spirit. So we already see two opposites there. And if you could say there was the, there's the prideful, and then you have the humble, and those two opposites, the two weights to try to balance each other out, you know. Some, well, I, I like to be somewhere in between, not too humble, not too proud. We're going to take a look at that. The man here, it says, his pride shall bring him low. Now, did the man intend to be dragged down? No. Just like the prodigal son didn't intend to ruin his life in the far country. He never said, I'm going to get all this stuff. I'm going to ruin my life. And then, hmm, the pig pens looked really nice. I'm going to swing by the pig pens and fight with some food. for. No, he didn't do that. He thought life was going to be good. His path was going to be just fine. And he started down that path. And obviously, that's where it led him, because that's where he was going. But he didn't think that it was going to do that to him. He didn't think it was going to drag him down. We see pride as a derailer here. The man, obviously, in this verse here is referring to, did not mean to be brought low. Was it the man's intention or his plans to have his life ruined? No. But his pride derailed him from a straight, true path and brought him low. Oftentimes, so oftentimes we see that our intentions mean nothing if Pride is dictating our decisions. Good intentions don't mean anything. Um, uh, You can study history down through time and see where good intentions have gotten people. Good intentions don't mean anything, especially if pride is leading us. So the first thing we see is that in your life, pride will derail your plans. Pride is going to derail. It is a great derailer. The next thing we see, number two, let's turn over to Obadiah chapter one. We see pride is a derailer. It's going to bring you low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. The next thing we see is in Obadiah chapter one. And we're going to take a look in verse three. Now it's a minor prophet. It's going to take you a little bit longer to find, but I'm not giving you any longer. You're supposed to be able to jump right there. Whenever I was... um, dating, actually we weren't dating yet. It was the first time that I'd got to sit with Carissa. And uh, I was down in, um, we were down in Oklahoma City and I asked to sit next to her and she reluctantly said yes. But she said yes. So that's the main thing. So I came and I sat next to her and I'm sitting with my Bible and we're sitting there, a pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Clayton is getting ready to speak and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you know, this is really exciting. I get to sit down. I'm sitting here next to Carissa, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I've got my Bible. And he said, turn to Nehemiah. And I went, where's Nehemiah? Where's Nehemiah? And I'm literally racking my brain about where Nehemiah is. And I'm like, major prophets. No, no, it's not the major prophets. So then I'm going back. So anyways, I found Nehemiah. I like sort of looked in the front of the book and found out where it was. And my, I'm like, of course that's where it is. You know, anyways, my brain 
I don't know if she noticed it or not, but I tried to pull it off there. Anyways, so hopefully that gave you time to get to Obadiah. All right, here we go. So chapter 1 in verse 3, it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The second thing we see here is pride is a deceiver. First of all, pride will derail you and your plans in your life. The next thing we see is that pride will deceive you. All right, let's read that verse. The, uh, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. He's talking here, I believe it was the children of Edom. Thou hast dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. In verse 3 there, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The deception of pride, and this is important, the deception of pride is not that you are in control. The deception of pride is that you should be in control. Not just that I control my life, but I should control my life. I'm in charge here. I should be in charge here because I know what's best for me. Pride is a deceiver. It's a liar. I will not wait. I will take control if need be. I've seen people over and over again uh, in the past say, I'll give God this long. I'll give God two weeks. And if I don't get an answer by then, then I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to have to forge on ahead. Because if God doesn't do what I think God should do, then that's just a sign that I need to be the one in charge. And then it always ends up bad. So we see that pride is a derailer. We see that pride is a deceiver. One of the horrible, the horrible things about deception too, and this is, with, this is one thing on Wednesday night we talk with the kids uh, in class about, is deception or lying, what it does is it robs the person. It's a thief. It robs the person of the ability to make an informed decision. It literally, it steals from them. If you lie to someone, if you deceive someone, you are stealing from them that opportunity to make an informed decision on the circumstances. You're a thief. I'm a thief. If I deceive someone, I've robbed from them. And it's very, very, very important. Thie- uh, 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 a pride here, it's a deceiver. And in being a deceiver, it's also a thief it takes from us. It steals from us the ability and those around us the ability to act on uh, something with the full amount of knowledge in that situation. The third thing we see here, let's take a look back at our main verse there in Proverbs chapter 16. And we'll look in verse 18. Let's look back over in Proverbs 16 and verse 18. We see pride is a derailer, pride is a deceiver. It's a thief. And now we see that pride is a destroyer. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, we hear that a lot. You know, pride cometh before the fall. You know, it's interesting. People will quote that a lot. Our verse here, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's very interesting that destruction and fall there are two different words for a reason. Fall actually means shame. 
Okay, so the haughty spirit before a fall, you're shamed with that fall. Now, let's, but let's look at destruction here. So let's read the verse again. Pride in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The destruction, the word used for, used for destruction is shaber. Shaber, okay? And literally, this is what it means. This is what that word destruction means. It means to crash and to shatter to fracture, to break apart. So not just uh, destruction here. You know, I got to be careful. Destruction, bad things are going to happen. No, you're going to crash. And the implication is a shattering, like taking a glass vase and dropping it on concrete and it just explodes into a million pieces and you can't put it back together. The words here, the word here used for destruction means destruction that is permanent it's done over with so what we're getting here is we're getting a warning pride goeth before destruction pride leads the way our pride leads us to areas that we shouldn't go you will say things that you never should have said you will do things that you never should have done if you are led by pride. But one thing we can all agree, if we look at the Bible, and we read what the Bible says, the Bible says pride leads to destruction. If you have pride, eventually you will crash. And it's something that you might not be able to come back from. It's a deceiver. It's a derailer. Christ is, uh, 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 um, uh, pride is a destroyer. And we're warned about these things over and over and over again, the original sin. Why? Because of how pride controls you and me, how it leads you and me, and what it will do to you and me. Pride controls, pride leads, and then pride destroys. So we have to establish that as we look, as we go through this about how deadly pride is. And that's just scratching the surface. The Bible goes over the original sin a great, great many times. I mean, you can almost read any story of the Bible and find pride in there. Uh, it's just the fact that we have certain instances um, with Joseph and other people where they didn't ha- they weren't, didn't have pride is just incredible. Now, pride here we see from the Bible, pride will send you crashing to the ground and shattering until into a million pieces. Now, now that we've established that, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay? And this is where the crow comes in. I'm going to tell you a story that very few people know about. This very special story. The story is about yours truly. And you're probably like, you know, no, just hang with me here for just a minute. This is a story that I have carried with me for over a decade. Like I said, very few people know about it. And now millions of people on live stream and the podcast are going to hear about it now. So for several years, um, honestly, it brought shame to me. This story did. But then I came to realize something that was a life changer in this story. Now, how's that for an opener? Is that pretty good? I got everyone's attention now. It'd be, you're like, it'd better be a good story now. All right, we're done. All right, so almost 11 years ago, whenever Carissa and I were dating, um, we were just about to get married. Um, 
and a, a job opportunity opened up, a position opened up for me to fill that position. And um, I was living with my parents at the time. I was about to get married. I had no idea where I was going to live, okay? I had no car, you name it. I had, I had a job, but that was basically it. Mom and dad weren't going to kick me out, but I know they were thinking about it. So I was like, I've got fi- to find a place to live. I want to marry Carissa. I've got to hurry and marry her before she changes her mind. No, I was like, I, I got to do, I got to, I got to find, I've got to find this place. So I'm looking and literally, this is what happened. Um, uh, we got, <laughs> we got, the week we got married, we found out where we were going to be staying. It was at Jim and Lisa's house, not with them. They had moved out uh, and then we were renting their house from them. So it was cutting a really close corner there. Well, this job opportunity opened up I was living with mom and dad, and it literally just fell into my lap. And I thought, this is it. This is instant security. This is, it came with very, very good pay. It outweighed any of the concerns that I had about who I would be working with. And after I was offered the job, I thought, this has to be right. It must be right. So I said, okay, all right, let me pray about it. But the funny thing is, is I didn't pray about it. Have you ever done that before? I didn't need to pray about it. Who needs to pray about something like this? This was financial security at the very beginning of our marriage, and surely it was the right thing to do, and that's what my logical brain was saying, and I thought, this is great. But the real reason that I didn't pray about it was because I was afraid of what God was going to tell me. I didn't want to open up that conversation. I didn't want to do it. It's like when you're, I'll have one of my children, James, for instance. We're using him for a lot of illustrations lately. And James wants to carry the bicycle, uh, the little bicycle upstairs. James is not going to ask mom and dad if he can carry the bicycle upstairs and ride it down the stairs. He's just going to do it because he knows. Or he'll hint around something and Chris will be like, no, don't do that. So then he'll come over to me and, well, you know, and start hinting around about it. And we're like, how old are you? You're already manipulating. This is incredible. They're so good at it at such a young age. He won't say, I don't want to wear the shirt. He'll say the shirt's too tight. It's too hot. Just say you don't want to wear the shirt. Anyways, so he's playing the mind games with us. Sometimes it works, probably. But the real reason here I didn't pray was because I was afraid of what God might say. And in my pride, I had decided that I would act alone and that this decision would be my own because it's my decision. It's my life. I have to make my own decision here. And I'm the man. I'm going to do it. So I decided to go ahead and act out alone. A side note here, I wrote this down. If you're afraid to talk to God about something, you might already know the answer. You know, think about it. If you're scared to approach your heavenly father with something, you know, 
God, I was just thinking, nope, okay, forget about it, never mind, and then you move on. No, I'm just not going to talk to God, and then we'll just, we'll keep going. If you're afraid to seek godly counsel, don't go get someone who's going to agree with you on everything. Don't go get a yes man or a yes woman, and then ask them, and oh, absolutely, go do it. Be brave, be yourself, you know, and then you're, all right, I want to go do this. No, don't do that. Don't get someone who's going to agree with you. Seek godly counsel. If you're afraid to seek godly counsel, about something, you might already have your answer. If you're afraid to talk to God about it, you might already have your answer. Now, I was offered this position a few days before I flew down to preach summer camp. It took me two days of praying to figure out that I should do it. My logical brain made its logical decision. So I called Carissa the first night of camp, and I told her I accepted the position and that we would be moving and that we would not be here at South Valley Baptist Church. And she said, okay. And she didn't say anything. And I could tell she was disappointed. But that's the way it is. Because I had to make a decision. I am the man, bless God, I will make decisions. So I said, you know what, we're going to do it. And I'm just going to forge ahead. That's the way it was. I called my pastor, who's also my father. Pastor Daddy. We call him Papa Preacher. That's another name for him. And it was done and done. And you see, I didn't need anyone's help. I didn't need anyone's help. I could make a decision, the right decision, a very big decision, a decision where you're playing for keeps now, and I could make that decision without any input, and I could be confident in that decision. Now, I preached that first night at camp. Everything went great. We had kids saved, and it went just absolutely amazing. The problem was, is that night, I could not sleep at all. I fell asleep about 30 minutes before my alarm went off at 6.45 in the morning. I'm like, okay. I get up exhausted all day Tuesday. I do all the preaching and all the singing at camp. And you're like, what? You sing? When I have to, yes, I sing. I made sure this guy was turned off whenever Krista came up here. So I sing at camp, and I, I uh, play uh, the guitar with the kids and all that stuff, and then preach. I do all the preaching, all the teaching down there at Camp Okefenokee. Yes, that is the real name of it, Camp Okefenokee. And what I did was, is I battled through that day, and I finished the service that evening, and I fell. I have this really nice twin mattress and I fell into that twin bed that night and I couldn't sleep again couldn't do it and I fell asleep about 30 minutes before my alarm went off at 6 45 in the morning and now I'm like okay so I get up Wednesday was a repeat of Monday and Tuesday but this time I was prepared and that Wednesday night when I couldn't sleep I thought I'm just going to get up and I'm going to study for the lessons tomorrow. So I got up, and I studied for the lessons the next day. But one thing I did as I was staying up that night, and I was studying over that, I did not pray. And I'm studying over these lessons. And in the lessons, there's scripture. And I'm reading this. And I'm going through this stuff, and we have this, we have this. And I did not pray because I was so afraid of what I would hear. I was so afraid what God was going to say to me. I could not. I could not open up that line of communication with God because my pride was going to take a big hit. 
and I couldn't do that because I had made a decision and I was going to follow through with that decision. Mom was staying in the room next to me and she asked me, she said <laughs> the next day, she said, why aren't you sleeping? And I was like, why aren't I sleeping? Yes, I can hear you up all night. Why aren't you sleeping? What's the matter? Mom can always see through you. Moms can do that. And I said, um, this is mom who's got the fan on that's blowing like gale force winds inside there. Mom sleeps with the loud fan. So it's, I don't even know how she noticed that, but somehow she did. I was up at night and I said, I don't know. I, I guess I just have too much. I've got too much on my mind. And I pushed it aside. And you know, one thing that I've learned, I learned from that is that pride will fill your heart until there is no room for humility. If you allow it, pride will take over. It's like a disease, and there's not room for anything else. And what I was doing is, is I wasn't even willing to have a conversation with my mother who was concerned about it, and nope, I've got to do this. I'm in camp mode. I've got to get songs ready. I've got to get this ready. I've got to get all this stuff ready, and I am just going forward, and I'm not even willing to have a conversation about this. And I went to bed that Wednesday night, and I slept for 30 minutes, and I woke up before my alarm went off at 6.45. Thursday went good, though. We had lessons and puppets, songs, preaching. The kids had never seen a zombie preacher before. It was amazing. You wouldn't think those would go together, but even the dark circles under my eyes, and it was just, we're doing one thing after another. The kids weren't too freaked out. You know, when they're just staring at you and you're speaking. Now they're staring at you, not listening to what you're saying. You know, then you know something's wrong. So the day passed and I preached that Thursday night. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Let's look at verse 2. Later that night I was in my cabin and I realized that I could not take another step. Call it exhaustion call it whatever you want. I couldn't go any further. And this is what I read here. Proverbs 11 and verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom, the integrity of the upright shall guide them but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. And that verse stood out to me, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Did you know that the word used for shame there is the same word used for confusion? With pride cometh shame, confusion. You can't think straight when your heart is filled with pride. You can't do it. You cannot. This is the Bible. You cannot have clarity and peace in your life if pride rules in your heart. You must have humility. C.S. Lewis once said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself, thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, okay? That's what humility is here. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And at about around 3 a.m. or so, I said, okay, Lord, I give up. I'm running on fumes. I've got about two hours of sleep in four days. 
I don't know what I'm going to do. I literally am losing my mind. Tell me what you want me to do. And as clear as a bell, the Lord told me in my heart, you know what to do. Uh, I didn't want that. I was hoping God was going to impress on my heart to do this, this, and this, and everything. No, no, no. You know, so oftentimes, we know what the problem is, and we know what the solution is. We just don't want to deal with the solution because we want to save face. I said, my heart is open. God said, okay, it's open. You don't need to sign. You don't need someone to come along and say you made a mistake. You need to do what is right. You need to make what is right. And literally sitting there in my cabin, I was sitting on the twin bed. I said out loud, I can't. I can't. And mom was probably thinking, what is he doing? He's having conversations in there. And I said, I can't. I've committed to these people. I've told my wife. I've told my pastor. I've told these people, yes, I can't say I've made a mistake. I'm going to be humiliated. I can't do that. And the Lord touched my heart and said, so what you're saying is, is you are willing to go where you're not supposed to go, live a life that you're not supposed to live, do what you're not supposed to do to save face. Just to say, nope, I said it, I'm going to do it. I said, you're right. I should have never said yes. And finally, I opened up a conversation. And literally, being so emotional after all that time, you know, when, when you don't, when there's a friend, a relative, a parent, someone you don't talk to in a while, and then you talk to them, there's that wonderful moment when now you've opened that up again. And if you're running from God and you shut off the communication of God, when you open up that communication again, it's incredible. Because now you're connected again with speaking with your father. And I said, okay, all right. I said, I'll eat crow. I'll make things right. I'll do it tomorrow after the last services of camp. And God's my witness. I don't remember anything else because I fell asleep. I'm guessing I was like, mm, bonk, and then hit, hit the, the hay there. I was out. Now, I only got three hours of sleep, but I'm telling you, three hours is a lot better than 30 minutes. I could tell you that right now. So then I got up the last day of camp, went great. It ended. I had this pit in the, the, my stomach because of what was coming. And it was over with, and we left. I informed the people that I had made a mistake, and I was embarrassed and humiliated, and I was shamed in my own mind. I talked to our pastor, and he was relieved because from his standpoint, he could see not a good fit. It wouldn't work. But he gave me room to pray about it, and I told him I had when I hadn't. He was relieved. Now, for years, I didn't talk about that. For years, I was ashamed about the decision I made that I knew wasn't right, and therefore, I had to go back on my word. I was ashamed, and it was a mark against me in my mind. But I had committed to following God wherever the Lord wanted me. A few years later, that institute was shrouded in scandal and is no longer in existence today. And I would have been there in the middle when all of that had happened. The temporary security that looked so good would be gone. 
And then I came to realize what, an, what a blessing the embarrassment was. What an incredible lesson I had learned. Had I hated the embarrassment more than doing what is right, I and my family could have been dragged down as well. And in all likelihood, I've talked to our pastor about this several times, in all likelihood, I might not even be in the ministry today. We might not even be here. You would all have missed Nabal running around like a crazy person. You would have missed James screaming at visitors because they said something to him. You would have missed all those wonderful things. Uh, I would have missed out on the tarps, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Such, such a joy. The embarrassment was life-changing. Embracing the embarrassment, eating that crow, was life-saving. I, I told him, I said, I literally, I feel like I chose crow over poison. That's what I feel like. Honest to goodness. I feel like I pulled my head out of a trap before it slammed shut. I found out that eating the crow now was so much better than the crash that lied ahead. And in retrospect, that crow is the sweetest meal I've ever eaten in my spiritual life because it changed who I was, and I am not ashamed of that. Every time we come here, we walk in these doors, we get to fellowship with um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. I am reminded of a decision and a crossroad that I was at 11 years ago, and I thank God that I was spared from that other path, and I thank God for the embarrassment that I went through. Christian, your embarrassment is nothing compared to to walking down the wrong path in life. Your embarrassment is nothing compared to a ruined relationship you should have repaired years ago. Your embarrassment is nothing compared to being distant from God. You see, if we don't say I was wrong, I was selfish, it was my fault, then things are okay. Because to say any of those shows that we're human and we can't do that. Every decision we make, we have to stick to that or so our brain tells us. And bad decisions that we make must stay right in our own, our own eyes, in our own mind. Why? Because we hate the taste of crow. We hate to say, I was wrong. We hate to say, will you forgive me? But it is essential to the Christian life Lastly, let's turn here to James chapter 4, and we're done. James chapter 4. We close our eyes to the lessons that we can learn from eating crow, and we push forward to the destruction of our household, our family, and even ourselves. Eating crow is a reminder that we are not perfect, and it's also a deterrent from where pride will take you. Embrace the embarrassment and be spared the damage that your pride can cause you and those around you. I like good food. I like beef, ostrich. It's great meat. Venison, fish, even chicken. Even chicken, okay? I like, I like all that stuff. But in my spiritual life, nothing has taught me a lesson. Nothing has been as good as the crow that I have eaten. And I pray I don't lose or forget the lessons that I learned 11 years ago. Now, I am not the hero of this story. I'm not. God is, because 
dum-dum here would have forged ahead if I would have kept blocking God out of my life. Nope, I'm going to do it. I would have done it. Who knows where we, my, myself, Carissa, and my family would be today. God would not leave me alone. I just decided to quit hitting mute over and over again. The mute button wasn't working real well, but I kept trying to hit it. I quit trying to shut God out. Now, what we can say is, and you can say is, you don't understand. I've been living this way for 25 years. I can't change now. It's too embarrassing. I can't admit that I was wrong after all that time. You can't just come and say, well, you need to make things right, and now things are right. It would seem like a waste. And this is what you'll hear. I've got my pride, you know. That's a good old classic statement. I've got my pride. I can't change after this long. I would look like an idiot. That's a biblical term. I can't change. This is what's interesting. We ask ourselves these questions. We want to look at this scripture and we'll be done. Are you willing to forfeit the blessing of God to save face? God said, this is not me. This is God's word. God said, you won't find wisdom, clarity, or peace if you have pride. You will not find them. You can search for them. You will not find Wisdom, clarity, or peace. And listen, Christian, Christ can change you. If Christ changed the thief on the cross after a lifetime of living wickedly, and now he is paying for his crimes, and mere moments before eternity, Christ changes the thief. Christ can change anyone else. We have to say no to pride, no to our image, and make things right. In James chapter 4, let's look in verse 6. We have to ask ourselves, are you willing to eat crow now to save you from where pride is leading you later? James chapter 4 and verse 6, and we're done. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. One more time, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. If your heart is headed in the wrong direction, eat the crow now before the crash comes later. We're going to bow our head and close our eyes. Bonnie's going to come. Just have one stand of invitation here. I have no idea how God will use this in anyone's life here. This is a lesson that God taught me, and it wasn't a lesson that I learned right away. It's literally taken me 11 years to learn this, and I wanted to share it with you, that sometimes it's better to make things right, even if we're embarrassed or humiliated. We got to eat crow, but what you'll find out in the long run is that That embarrassment, if you embrace that, you will learn such an incredible lesson from that. Eating crow is always better, always better than continuing down a path of pride that the Bible says leads to a crash, a shattering. Christ offers hope. We just have to be willing to turn to him.